I think that's all. We are blessed tonight by my lovely wife, Pastor Tony. She's going to come and deliver the word, and we're excited. I'm excited. Are you excited? I'm excited. Can I get you a water? I have one over there. Okay, I'll get it. Okay. He's so good to me. Both he's. He and he. (laughs) So, um, isn't God good? There really is no end to his power. You know, in in, uh, the Gospels, Jesus said a wise man counts the cost before he starts building. And Jesus, or God would have never started it if he couldn't finish it. And he's going to take us out with a bang. It's the early and the latter rain together. Those miracles, those signs, and those wonders. And every time we've been praying in here lately or even praying at home for the church and for the move of God, we've been praying for him to send the rain and flood the river to overflow its banks with those miracles, signs, wonders, that outpouring of his power. And we're going to see it. And we're going to see it soon. And then Jesus is going to come. Amen? Amen. Well, that's not what I'm talking about tonight. (laughs) The title of my message is, When God Isn't on Our Timetable. Can anybody relate? Anybody? (laughs) When God isn't on our timetable. And we have this little thing that we sing at home when the kids are getting impatient or Pastor Michael's getting impatient. Because I never get impatient. (laughs) But it's this little song. It says, have patience, have patience. Don't be in such a hurry. See how annoying it is? When you get impatient, you only start to worry. Remember, remember that God has patience too. And think of all the times when people have to wait. For you. <laughs> and so there are a lot of times when my timetable and God's timetable has not lined up, and I can just hear, you know how the Bible says He sings over you? I just hear Him singing that song over me, <laughs> saying, Have patience, honey, because our timetables are not the same. And so where he's been taking me lately to just study in my my morning devotions is back to Genesis 12. He's been having me read about Abraham. And so we're going to start with Abraham. We're going to hop and skip and jump through some examples of what happened when God and man were on different timetables, what that looked like, how they dealt with it, what the outcome was. And um, we'll just get started. We're going to start with Genesis chapter 12, and it says, The Lord had said to Abram, Leave your native country, your relatives, and your father's family, and go to the land that I will show you. I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you and make you famous, and you will be a blessing to others. I will bless those who bless you and curse those who treat you with contempt. All the families on earth will be blessed through you. So Abram departed as the Lord had instructed, and Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he left Haran. He took his wife Sarai, his nephew Lot, and all his wealth, his livestock, and all the people he had taken into his household at Haran and headed for the land of Canaan. When they arrived in Canaan, Abram traveled through the land as far as Shechem. There he set up a camp beside the Oak of Moreh. At that time, the area was inhabited by the Canaanites, Then the Lord appeared to Abram and said, I will give this land to your descendants. And Abram built an altar to the Lord there. 
and dedicated it to the Lord who had appeared to him. After that, Abram traveled south and set up camp in the hill country with Bethel to the west and Ai to the east. And there he built another altar and dedicated it to the Lord and he worshiped the Lord. And he continued to travel. So this section of scripture does not happen like that. We can read it in two minutes, but this was, it, there's really no gauge of how long it took him to travel these places, how long he stayed these places. He built an altar. Did he build an altar and just move on? Did he stay there and live for a while? We really don't know those things. But what we know is God spoke a promise to him, a pretty vague promise. It wasn't very detailed the very first time he spoke to him. He said, go to the land that I show you. I'll make you into a nation. I will bless you. I'll curse those who curse you. And all the nations of the earth will be blessed in you. So that's pretty vague, don't you think? I thought it was. But just a couple things we want to notice here is this was a huge sacrifice to Abram. And I know we've all heard these stories probably a thousand times. So don't, don't zone out because we might say something you've never heard before. And um, so... It was a big sacrifice to Abram, and there were some things that he had to leave behind to be able to move forward. Expectations that his father had for him. There were huge expectations that the fathers had to the sons in those days. The sons had a place in the family. They had a responsibility to the family. Back in Bible days, they had a responsibility to care for their parents. As they got older, there were all these expectations put on the sons back in those days. So he gets this vague promise from a God that we don't even know how well he knew. And he had a decision to make. Am I going to follow God? Am I going to, to live out the expectations that other people have for me? Am I going to live out the expectations that I had for myself? Am I going to lay down all the hopes and the dreams that I had? He was 75 years old. He had to be well-established in something. He had wealth. He had livestock. So this was a big sacrifice for him to leave his father's house, to leave his father's legacy, to leave his place in line, to leave everything, and go to a land that I will show you. He didn't say go to a land that I will give you at that point. He just said, go to a land that I will show you. And so it took great faith for Abraham to step out on that promise, leave everything behind, and follow God. But he chose God. God didn't say, do this and I'll bless you in five minutes. Do this and I'll bless you in five days. He just said, do this and I'll bless you. And then when we come down to the next time that the Lord appeared to him, that's when he said, okay, you've You've obeyed. You've shown your faith. Faith pleases me. Let me tell you something else I'm going to do for you. Not only did I call you here, but here I'm going to give you this land. So here we have another layer of the promise. God is laying on another layer of the promise here. And within a couple short verses, it says, God appeared to him, God appeared to him. And I just want to do a little side note here, just something of interest. He was 75 years old the first time God appeared to him. He was 175 years old when he died. God spoke to him eight times. Only eight times in 100 years. So he had to hold on to these promises in a very unique way. We are so blessed. 
we don't have we don't have to wait to hear something here because we hear something here every time we open it. And there's this little thing that goes around Facebook every once in a while. Um, you know, if God's silent, then don't worry because the teacher's always silent during the test. And I say poppycock. Because if God's silent, the only reason he's silent is because you haven't opened his word. Or I haven't opened his word. He is continuously speaking to us if we read it through his word. But he was not continuously speaking to Abram. He had to appear to him to speak to him, and he did it eight times in 100 years. Selah. Okay, so 75 years old. Okay, so we have him speaking to him two times here. Abram built an altar. And just another little side note on the book of Genesis. The Bible in particular as a whole, but the book of Genesis in particular, is not a story about the patriarchs. It's not a story about people. It's a story about God. And when we hear about the people of God, it's all in relation to who he is. Every part of his word is to reveal something to us about him. And so he, he, um, he chose Abram, Abram obeyed him, and he started to layer on these promises. Let's skip over to chapter 15. And all it says in verse 1 is sometime later. Now, if you, if you don't skip over, we have them going to Egypt during a time of famine. We have them returning back and Lot and Abram separating. And then we have Lot getting captured in war and him going to rescue them. So we have like a lot of time here. I believe it's 11 years. I could be wrong. But it's somewhere in 8, 9, 10, 11 years between Genesis 12 and Genesis 15. And God hadn't appeared to him again in all of those years. So what Abram was holding on to was what he had heard 10 years before. So sometime later, the Lord spoke to Abram in a vision and said to him, Do not be afraid, Abram, for I will protect you, and I will be your exceeding great reward. And Abram replied, O sovereign Lord, what good are all your blessings when I don't even have a son? Since you've given me no children, Eliezer of Damascus, a servant in my household, will inherit all my wealth. You have given me no descendants of my own, so one of my servants will be my heir. And so do you hear the desperation there? Is it just me? The mighty man of faith that Romans 4 talks about was questioning God. Like, hey, where have you been the last 10 years? <laughs> I thought you said you were going to make me into a nation. I thought you said you were going to give me this land. Hello, I have nothing. And so a servant in my house is going to be my inheritor, which was common practice in those days. If they, did, if they couldn't have children, they picked somebody to be their heir apparent. So that's what he was doing here. And verse 4 says, Then the Lord said to him, No, your servant will not be your heir. You will have a son of your own who will be your heir. Then the Lord took Abram outside and said to him, Look at the stars. What do you see? No. Look up into the sky <laughs> and count the stars if you can. That's how many descendants you will have. Another layer to the promise. Now it's not just you're going to be a nation. Your descendants are going to be innumerable. He keeps adding layers to it. Have you ever had him do that to you? Tell you something vague? 
And then the dream becomes, you know, a little stronger. And then you get a little more revelation. Then you get a little more revelation. And as you take a step, a little bit more comes. Mm -hmm. That's what we're seeing here. Verse 6, And Abram believed the Lord, and the Lord counted him as righteous because of his faith. Then the Lord told him, I am the Lord who brought you out of the Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land as your possession. But Abram replied, O sovereign Lord, how can I be sure that I will actually possess it? Which is interesting because they didn't say, how can I be sure I'll actually have more descendants than anyone can number? What's the difference? If you believe God, you believe God, right? God's not afraid of your questions. He just doesn't want you to put any doubt with it. Abraham's trying to understand. He's not doubting God. He's trying to understand. And there's a difference in that line of questioning, right? It's okay to ask God questions. Are you with me? So Abram's just asking him a question. How can I be sure this will possibly, that I will actually possess it? Verse 9. The Lord told him, bring me a three-year-old heifer, a three-year-old female goat, a three-year-old ram, a turtle dove, and a young pigeon. So Abram presented all these to him and killed them, and he cut each animal down the middle and laid the halves side by side. He did not, however, cut the birds in half, Some vultures swooped down to eat the carcasses, but Abram chased them away. As the sun was going down, Abram fell into a deep sleep, and a terrifying darkness came down over him. Then the Lord said to Abram, You can be sure that your descendants will be strangers in a foreign land, while they will be oppressed as slaves for 400 years. But I will punish the nation that enslaves them, and in the end they will come away with great wealth. As for you, You will die in peace and be buried at a ripe old age. After four generations, your descendants will return here to this land, for the sins of the Amorites do not yet warrant their destruction. After the sun went down, the darkness fell. Abram saw a smoking fire pot and a flaming torch passed between the halves of the carcasses. That's the glory in the presence of the Lord. So the Lord made a covenant with Abram that day and said, I have given this land to your descendants all the way from the border of Egypt to the great Euphrates River, the land now occupied by the Kenites, Kenizzites, and a lot of other ites. In Jesus' name, amen. For 400 years, your descendants will be strangers in a land. After four generations, they'll come back here and possess this land. Genesis 12, he's 75 years old. Go where I show you. Genesis 12, he goes and he goes, okay, now I'm going to give you this land. Genesis 15, I'm going to give this land to you and those innumerable, descend- innumerable descendants I just told you about, but it's not going to happen for 400 years. So what we see here is that God is not in a hurry. Is anyone else depressed by that thought? <laughs> God is not in a hurry. And as we go through the rest of these examples, we're going to see that God really is not in a hurry. Abraham was in a hurry, and he was telling God about it. Listen, you promised me an heir. I don't have an heir. Where's my heir? God says, take a, take a chill pill, Abram. Just relax. Go take a bubble bath. <laughs> it's going to happen, but it's not going to happen when you think it's going to happen. And part of it's not going to even happen in your lifetime. So just relax. The promise will come to pass when it comes to pass. 
I've got my own timetable. And so I'm sure Abram didn't really like that. <laughs> but what did he do? He believed God. He obeyed God. He walked with God. He stayed faithful. And then if you skip over to chapter 21, verse 1, it says, The Lord kept his word and did for Sarah exactly what he promised. She became pregnant, and she gave birth to a son for Abraham in his old age. This happened at just the time God said it would. Because we skipped the part where he added another layer to the promise and said this is when Sarah is going to have And then there was a lot of mishmash stuff in there. But what the point we want to make tonight is that God isn't in a hurry. There's no clock in heaven. There's a clock on the back wall. And I look at it regularly. <laughs> There's a clock on, it, on my phone. There's usually a clock on my wrist. There's clocks all over this realm. There is no clock in heaven. There's no calendar in heaven. He doesn't have an alarm clock. He doesn't have a timer set so that the cookies don't burn. He doesn't have any of that. He works on his own pace. It's going to get more encouraging, so hang with me. But what happened when Abram did not, like what Pastor Michael preached on Sunday, whatever you do, don't quit. What happened when Abraham didn't let go of the promise? Chapter 21, verse 1. And God, God did what he said he was going to do. The Lord kept his word to Sarah. If we hold fast, we will win. Let's um, skip over to Genesis 37. Another one of my favorite stories. Not even just a story, it really happened. Joseph. When Joseph was 17 years old, he often tended his father's flocks. Everyone say 17 years old. That's how old Alex is. Isn't that crazy? Joseph was 17 years old. He worked for his half-brothers, the sons of his father's wives, Bilhah and Zilpah, but Joseph reported to his father some of the bad things his brothers were doing. Jacob loved Joseph more than any of his other children because Joseph had born him in his old age. One day, Jacob had a special gift made for Joseph, a beautiful robe, but his brothers hated Joseph because their father loved him more than the rest of them, and they couldn't say a kind word to him. One night, Joseph had a dream, and when he told his brothers about it, they hated him more than ever. Listen to this dream, he said. We're out in the field tying up bundles of grain. Suddenly, my bundle stood up, and all your bundles gathered around and bowed low before mine. And his brothers responded, oh, that's awesome. No. So you think you're going to be our king, do you? Do you actually think you will reign over us? And they hated him all the more because of his dreams and the way he talked about them. Soon Joseph had another dream. And again, because it went over so well the first time, he told his brothers about it. <laughs> Listen, I have had another dream, he said. The sun, the moon, and 11 stars bowed low before me. This time he told the dream to his father as well as to his brothers, but his father scolded him. What kind of dream is this? Will your mother and I and your brothers actually come about low to the ground before you? But while his brothers were jealous of Joseph, his father wondered 
what the dreams meant. And so we all, if you, do you, anybody not know the story of Joseph? We all know the story of Joseph. 17 years old when he has the dream, 30 years old when the dream comes to pass. 30 minus 17 is, okay, you have to do math tonight. Who has it? 13. <laughs> I know there's a little thing on Facebook that when it has a disciples, and it has Jesus, and he says, you have to forgive 70 times 7, and Peter goes, I have to forgive and do math? That's not fair. <laughs> so Joseph had dreams, and then 13 years later, those dreams finally come to pass. 13 years is not a short amount of time. It is a short amount of time in respect to some things, but for Joseph, not so short. When you're in a pit, when you're sold into slavery, when you get lied about and put into prison, when you get forgotten in prison, it's not a fun occasion. But God wasn't really in a hurry at all. God wasn't in a hurry. And when Joseph wanted to get out, was two years before he, I mean, he wanted to get out from the beginning. But two years before he actually got called before Pharaoh, the butler and the baker got put into prison, right? The baker got whacked and the butler got released and sent back to Pharaoh. And Joseph said, please, please, please go to Pharaoh on my behalf. I didn't do anything to get here. I really want out of here. Please talk to Pharaoh for me. And he goes, sure, I'll talk to him. But he didn't. The next verse says, two years later, Joseph was forgotten in prison. Forgotten in prison. How many of you have ever felt forgotten in prison with the promise that God gave you? Forgotten in prison with the dream that God gave you? Like, where, oh, where are you, God? And what is taking so long? My timetable. I can't, I'm Xing the days off the calendar, and it seems like they're getting farther apart. Have you ever done that? <laughs> done a countdown and not have a countdown, have an ad days? Little quick story. Michael and I went to Hocking Hills one year in January. It was right after we got a GPS for Christmas that we couldn't wait to use. And um, the GPS, Hocking Hills is like three hours away. Has anyone ever been there? Three hours, right? Seven and a half hours later. Every time we got in the highway, it told us to get off, right? Every single time, it told us to get off. And we're like, <laughs> I go, whoa. Especially when we were starting, I'm like, this is the way we need to go. I know it. And Michael goes, just give yourself to the GPS. You, you know, it's the first time we've had one. You got to just, it knows what it's doing. Those satellites know it. You just got to give yourself to the GPS. I'm like, Okay, the kids were really little. We were getting away for two nights to the, our, you know, so I'm like, well, they're not screaming in the back. We're all alone. It's cool. So we're, we're on the road. And it seemed like the arrival time kept getting later and later. And I said, if we're getting closer, why is the arrival time going later? I don't understand. So we're driving through. We're driving through all these neighborhoods, neighborhoods. There's these houses with fountains, and, and <laughs> I'm wanting to stop for ice cream and coffee. I'm like, let's just relax and have fun, enjoy the journey. And Michael's like, we're going to get there. So we're in this neighborhood, right? 
And he's like white knuckling it because he's like, we're f- like four hours into the trip and it still shows that we're like three and a half hours. <laughs> like we should be there, right? And so he looks at the GPS and goes, where are you taking me? I'm laughing so hard. I'm crying. He's like, this is not funny. I have no idea where we are. And because we had gotten this GPS, we did not bring a map. The GPS is going to take us there. So when, then I said, you know what? Somebody talked about avoidances. Let's check. And every avoidance, avoid highways, avoid toll roads, avoid, you know, just go through neighborhoods. So we finally get there. And we know we're on the right road. We had just picked up the keys and it said to turn right. And it was a ravine. We're like, where's the house? Because <laughs> the address was like mixed up. <laughs> we finally got there. But I'm sure that's how Joseph felt. Have you ever felt like God was just adding days onto your sentence? You're like, I should be getting out early for good behavior. But your destination was still three and a half hours away. (laughs) Just give yourself to the GPS, baby. You'll get there eventually. (laughs) When we came home, we did it right. We stopped and shopped. We ate lunch and we still got home before seven and a half hours. (laughs) But God is not in a hurry. And here's the thing with Joseph. He wanted out two, two years. I almost said two hours. Two years before He got called before Pharaoh. But you know what would have happened if Joseph would have left when he wanted to leave? He'd have missed the whole plan of God. He'd have hightailed it out of there, gone back to home, and died in the famine with everyone else and wouldn't have fulfilled his covenant purpose of saving God's people from starvation. We get so frustrated when our timetables don't match. But God has a plan. Joseph needed to go through and be where Joseph was to learn what Joseph needed to learn to be second in command of all of Egypt. He had to learn the language. When he worked as a slave in Potiphar's house and when he was the the head over the prison, I'm sure he learned the eating habits of the people, how much they ate, how often they ate, what they ate. He learned everything he needed to learn about leading in Egypt in those 13 years. And when he got to the palace, he was ready. When God's not on our timetable, we want to skip ahead. Has anybody ever played video games? Like those, (laughs) my kids play them. My brother used to play them. Like those role-playing ones. And you like... It's like you're walking on the road or whatever, and here's a little stick over here, and here's a gun over here, and here's a sword over here, new life over here. And on the way to beat the bad guy is everything that you're going to need when you get to the bad guy. Now, there are shortcuts that you can take and little cheats that you can do, but if you take the shortcuts and do the cheats, then you don't have all the equipment you need when you get to the bad guy, and you lose. And that's what was going on with Joseph. God needed to put into him the wisdom of Egypt to be able to lead Egypt and save his covenant people through that famine. So what would have happened if Joseph would have skipped ahead 
if God would have adjusted his timetable just because Joseph was frustrated. It would have messed it all up, wouldn't it? God's timetable is a good timetable. We have King David, anointed as king as a teenager, called him in from the fields, anointed him, and then sent him back out to the fields. And then he had to run from Saul for years. He was anointed as king, what, 15 years before he was actually established as king over Israel? And he had two opportunities to take it. God told him you're going to be king. God told him he's going to remove Saul. And he had two opportunities to kill Saul. But he didn't do it. He let God work out his timetable and his plan. I'm sure his flesh wanted to do it. His men were telling him, you're stupid to not take it. God's put it right here for you. But David was wise and discerning and waited on God. And because he walked in honor, the people just made him king. And it was a seamless transition. If he would have taken that, there would have been war. It wouldn't have been seamless. It wouldn't have been the way that God designed it to be. <clears throat> what about Mary and Martha and Lazarus? Go to John 11. Say, God's got a timetable. It doesn't always match mine. And that's okay. 11, John 11, 1. A man named Lazarus was sick, and he lived in Bethany with his sisters, Mary and Martha. This is the Mary who later poured the expensive perfume on the Lord's feet and wiped them with her hair. Her brother Lazarus was sick. So the two sisters sent a message to Jesus telling him, Lord, your dear friend is sick, meaning get your tissue over here and heal him, please. So they prayed, right? This is Mary and Martha asking Jesus to do something for them. Then they knew he was willing and able to do. That's prayer. So we've got Mara, Mara, Mary and Martha praying. And when Jesus heard about it, he said, Oh my goodness, boys, pack it up and let's run home. Nope. Nope. Lazarus' sickness will not end in death. No, it happened for the glory of God so that the Son of God will receive glory from this. So although Jesus loved Martha and Mary and Lazarus, he stayed where he was for the next two days. Say, God is not in a hurry. Although he loved Martha and Mary and Lazarus, he stayed where he was for the next two days. You know, you don't always need to be... Jesus was never led by need. He was always led by the direction of the Father. We have to trust the Father. Finally, he said to his disciples, let's go back to Judea. But his disciples objected. Rabbi, they said only a few days ago, the people in Judea were trying to stone you. Are you going there again? He wasn't led by opportunity. He wasn't led by fear. He wasn't led by any other thing but the Holy Spirit. Jesus replied, there are 12, 12 hours of daylight every day. During the day, people can walk. They can see because they have the light of the world. But at night, there is danger of stumbling because they have no light. 
And then he said, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but now I will go and wake him up. The disciples said, Lord, if he's sleeping, he will soon get better. They thought Jesus meant Lazarus was simply sleeping, but Jesus meant Lazarus had died. So he told them plainly, Lazarus is dead, and for your sakes, I'm glad I wasn't there. For now you will really believe. Come, let's go see. And I wonder what the disciples thought. Because nothing that Jesus had ever said was wrong. And yet he told them it was not going to end in death. So I wonder if they were confused. You said he wasn't going to die, which isn't what Jesus said. Jesus said it wasn't going to end in death. Lazarus might have gone through death, but he didn't end there. It didn't stop there. But Jesus wasn't in a hurry. He waited two full days knowing he was sick. Jesus, I believe, knew he was going to die the whole time. And when he got there, Martha ran to him and said, Lord, if you had only been here, if you had only come on my timetable, my brother wouldn't have died. Why didn't you line your timetable up with my timetable? This would have been better. Jesus said, I... Do you believe in the resurrection? I'm the resurrection and the life. They didn't really know what he was talking about. I mean, you know, Jesus can talk, and sometimes we don't know what he's really saying. We put our interpretation on it. Sometimes we're super wrong. <laughs> and they were really wrong here. If you had just shifted your timetable to match mine, my brother wouldn't have died. Probably true. But Jesus didn't even pay any attention to that. And then... Martha went and got Mary, and Mary came and said the same thing. Listen, if you would have come earlier when we called and when we prayed, Jesus wouldn't, or Lazarus wouldn't have died. He's like, take me there in the, name of, in the name of Jesus. Lazarus, come forth, and up he came from the grave. God's not in a hurry because he knows what he's capable of. It doesn't matter if the situation dies. He's able to resurrect it. I don't understand why some people don't get their healing. We're not going into that tonight. But we know, I, I love something that Larry, what was his name? He, he died within six months of, of us coming. Gardner. Michael went to see him, like one of the last visits with him. And he's like, we're standing with you to the end. He goes, thank you, Michael, but either way I win. <clears throat> so we're not going to get into that tonight. And we're not going to become collateral damage with that because there's nothing that the enemy would like more than for us to question God when what we see doesn't line up with what his word says. But it doesn't matter what happens here. We're not going to understand everything that happens here. This is still true. We can still preach it. We can still pray for the sick. We can still watch them recover. Amen. God is not in a hurry. God knows what he's capable of. God knows what he, can, what he can do, what he will do. Sometimes it's stuff he's putting into us, not ever with sickness. Talking more about the dreams and the plan of God. He's arranging things. <clears throat> I remember one day I was questioning his timing. I did that a lot. A lot, a lot. And I was, I was cooking dinner. 
and just frustrated and crying out to him, literally crying. And one of my, my kids had done something that needed some attention, but I was browning my pork chops. And so that's a little time sensitive. You can't just let them burn. So I told him, I said, you sit here until I'm done with this, and then I'm going to deal with you. You don't move. So he sat in the chair. I turned around to flip a pork chop, and the Holy Spirit said, does him waiting have anything to do with him? I said, no, it it doesn't. It's because I'm doing something. He said, neither does your waiting have anything to do with you. Because I was like, am I doing something wrong? (laughs) What am I doing wrong that's stopping the plan of God? He said, this doesn't have anything to do with you. I'm working in the realm that you can't see. You need to trust that I am working it out. It all comes back to trust. Do we trust him? And if you read through the Bible at the situations where people had to wait, it still worked out in their favor. God's a good God, even when our timetables don't match. We're more, and society, I I think, has made us this way. We have become such a hurry-up society. And it's almost a a sin to slow down and to go at a pace. To leave work on time is a no-no. You have to do more and you have to hurry and you have to get more done and go faster and, and be stronger and do better and more and more and hurry and hurry and hurry. And go through the drive through and put it in the microwave. Instead of making popcorn on the stovetop, gosh, that takes forever. We're going to put it in the microwave. It only takes two and a half minutes. It's not good for you. <laughs> but we're going to do it anyway because it's fast. Church services went from being three hours long to two hours long to an hour and a half long. And now some churches, like their advertising slogan, is out in an hour. Like, why are you going to church? To get it done or to meet with God? We've put ourselves in such a hurry. And now if we sit in church past an hour and a half and we're at an hour and a half, the tendency, you know when you've reached your limit, and then you start looking at the clock and are they going to get done? And, oh my God, please shut up. I want to go home and <laughs> I've got things to get done. <clears throat> God is not in a hurry. We'll end with this. James 1, 4. Let patience have its perfect work. Mm, that's not a fun scripture. <laughs> Let Patience have its perfect work, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. You know, the gestation for cockroaches? I got your attention, didn't I? The gestation time for cockroaches is 38 days. 38 days. The gestation time for a human is what? Nine months. The gestation time for an elephant is 21 months to two years. Do you want something in your life that's cockroachy? (laughs) Or do you want something as strong as an elephant? (laughs) 
Just ask yourself these things the next time you wonder where God is and why isn't he on your timetable. Do I want something that's cockroachy or do I want something that's strong? (laughs) Like an elephant. But here's the last note, and then we'll pray. Brings it all back around with when God's not on your timetable. In Genesis 15, he told Abram, I am your shield. I am your exceeding great reward. These things are all blessings. This is all part of the journey. But I am your reward. So when we're content with the relationship, the waiting becomes inconsequential. God's more of a relax and enjoy me while you're enjoying the journey kind of a God. And we've turned into, let's hurry up and get to the destination kind of people. When we go on vacation, we drive it, we like really hammer it to get there, right? We want to get there. It always seems to take longer to get to vacation than it does to get home, even though it's the same exact drive. (laughs) Because when we're content with the relationship, the waiting is inconsequential. Because we know who he is, we trust his character, we know what he's capable of, we know he's working in our behalf, and we can just rest and let him, like Pastor Michael said tonight, do the work. Let him fight for us. Amen. Father, help us. Help us be okay with your timetable. Help us to understand it. Help us to see it. But help us most of all to trust you to trust you while we're waiting, no matter what it is we're waiting for, whether we're waiting for a healing, waiting for a spouse, waiting for a child to come back to you, waiting for a dream to come to pass. Everybody's waiting for something. So Father, I pray that in the wait, that your presence would overwhelm and saturate us, that would be, we would be so consumed and enamored with your presence and with our relationship with you that the wait just becomes inconsequential. And Father, we do thank you that you're fighting in our behalf. We thank you that you're working things out for us in a realm that we can't see. And we trust you that you began the work, and we trust you to finish it, Father. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, God is good, isn't he? All right, enjoy the rest of the warm evening, and we will see you back here on Sunday.